One of our elders at home, Nathan Bailey, often says, this is the best day of the week. And I would agree with that. This is a time that we come together and we're surrounded by people that we love. We're gathered in the presence of a holy God to honor Him and to worship Him. And this time reminds us of what's truly important. It draws our minds toward eternity toward God and His greatness, and I hope that that has that effect for you today. And I hope that you find yourself blessed to be here. If you're visiting with us, we're certainly glad that you've come to be with us. We, we want to welcome you, and we hope that you feel comfortable. We hope that you have been made to feel welcome, and ultimately we hope that this helps you understand more about our God in heaven. I want to talk about worship this morning. And we're going to read a story from John chapter 4, or just a section from that story, where Jesus speaks to a woman outside of a city in Samaria, the city of Sychar. And as they're drawing near to the city, the disciples go into the city to gather some provisions, and Jesus walks over to a well to speak to a woman. As they're having a conversation... Jesus begins to expose some things in her life that were wrong. And he tells her, go call your husband. She says, I have no husband. And he says, you've rightly said. You've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. And upon that exposure of her sinfulness, she distracts him from that or tries to, to open up a religious debate. <laughs> Somewhat common. Let's not talk about my sin. Let's talk about something theoretical. And so she says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming... And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So again, upon Jesus addressing her sin, this woman says, You know, our fathers worship in this mountain, and you think that Jerusalem is the appropriate place to worship. And so she wants to have a discussion about where is the right place to worship God. And I bet that Jesus' answer shocked her. You know what he said? You don't know what you worship. You don't know what. You know, if you don't know what you worship, where does not matter. She didn't know who God was or is. She lived in a place where idol worship and Judaism were blended together, where there was confusion about who God is, who the God of heaven is. And he says to her, you don't know the God that you claim to worship. And I want to ask you this morning, do you know the God that you worship? And what is worship? That's a term thrown around a lot. Let's define some terms 
The word that Jesus uses here in John 4.23 when he uses the word worship is the Greek word proskuneo, which means to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand, to fawn or crouch to, that is, prostrate oneself in homage, do reverence to or to adore. That might seem kind of strange. You think about, well, worship like a dog licks his master's hand. That's that's very odd. You know, we were out in Arkansas last summer, and we went up to see Dewey Watkins. And when we got to Dewey and Melba's house, they live way off out in the middle of nowhere. They're, they're further out from nowhere. They're up on the mountain. We, we pull up, and we're greeted by Dewey, and then all of a sudden his dog came around the house, and she walked right, or walks up to us, and she's wagging, and she's excited, and Dewey looks at her, and she gets about as low to the ground as a dog could possibly get. You know why? She knew who her master was. This word prostrate means to fall on the ground, to fall on your face, to get low. Worship is about humility. It's not about just doing something and hoping that God is pleased with it. It's about saying, God, I know who you are and I know who I am. And however I act and behave is supposed to represent who God is and who we are. And if we really understand the God that we worship, I'll tell you, we'll get as low to the ground as possible. We'll be as humble as we can. Because He is great and we are not. That's worship. And I want to look at some stories this morning. Some accounts from the Old Testament. Things that God inspired these men to write to teach us something. To help us understand who God is. And I want to think back. I want you to imagine that you're in Egypt. You've been there for hundreds of years, not you personally, but your people have been in Egypt for hundreds of years. The time comes when you're under a very hard taskmaster. You spend all day working out in the hot sun, making brick. And your life is miserable. Your life is miserable. And all of a sudden, God sends a deliverer. And this deliverer comes in, and through the mighty hand of God, you witness many, many wonders. The water turning into blood. Not turning red, changing its chemical components. Water to blood. And you watch as the water turns to blood, and everything dies. You think you'd ever forget that? I don't. You think you'd ever forget this plague of frogs, this plague of light, this plague of flies, all the things that happen. You think you'd ever forget any of that? Darkness that could be felt. (laughs) You ever been in darkness that could be felt? I've stayed in Jay and Gay's basement. It's pretty close. Pretty dark. I bet it it was darker than that. (laughs) You think you'd ever forget walking up to the Red Sea and Moses, watching Moses say, stand still. And see the salvation of God. And as you look at this sea, it parts. And not only does it part, but the water, the moisture is sucked out of the ground. And you walk through on dry ground. And then you look back and you watch as God crashes that water back in on your enemy. Destroying the oppressor. And you're free. And you sing a song of praise. And then all of a sudden, you get to Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up on the mountain. And you go, hey Aaron, where'd Moses go? Hmm. Make us a God. Do what? Excuse me? Did you forget? 
make us a God. What's wrong with the God they had? You know, it's probably the, one of the more humorous and tragic things when Moses says, Aaron, what have you done? And he says, well, you know, the people, they brought me the gold and I took it and I threw it in the fire and poof, out come this calf. And I don't know if that's exactly what it looked like. Why would you worship a cow when you have the God of heaven, Jehovah God, who has been performing all these wonders and miracles? Is it because they forgot about the wonders? I don't think so. But you know what they did? They went back to what they were comfortable with. They went back to serving the gods that they were accustomed to in Egypt. And I don't know what you think about Israel, the Israelites when they were in Egyptian bondage, but they didn't know who God was. They didn't know who he was. That's why when Moses said, who do I tell them sent me? God had to reveal himself. And if you go to Joshua, as Joshua is telling him, you've got to make a choice. What did he say? You've got to choose either God, Jehovah God, or the gods that your father served when they were on the other side of the Red Sea. You know why? Because this is what they were involved in. This is what they'd learned. This is why Aaron knew how to make a golden calf, because he was skilled in engraving. They knew this God, but it was no God at all. You know what's even more puzzling? is after Aaron makes this golden calf, he says to them, tomorrow is a feast to Jehovah. And it says they got up in the morning and they made sacrifice and they rose up to play. Play what? Volleyball? Go look at that word play sometimes. Go look at that. It has sexual connotations to it. They were reveling. They were worshiping like the pagans worship. They were doing things that were distasteful and abominable. And you know why they wanted a calf? Because a calf doesn't have a will, it doesn't have a voice, and it doesn't have a judgment. And if a calf is your God, you can do whatever you want. You can worship that calf however you want because it's not going to do a thing. There's no consequences for dishonoring this God because you can just decide what this God wants. And you know, that's exactly what happened, what we read about in Romans chapter 1 because these people wanted a God, they wanted a God that could be molded into an image that was formed to their imagination and their desires. And as we read Romans 1, Paul says this, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God, I want you to notice this, therefore, because they changed the glory of God into an image that was carnal, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creator, or creature rather, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. They made a God. They decided what God should look like, what God should desire, what God should like. And you know what? We would never do that, would we? We would never do that. You ever heard anybody say, well, my God... I preached years and years ago a sermon about God's judgment. And I talked about the man that, that God killed 
because he had touched the ark. You remember that story about Uzzah where he touched the ark and God smote him? And after church, a, a woman walked up to me and she said, My God never killed anybody. She was mad. And I said, I'm not sure we worship the same God. You ever see God kill someone in Scripture? God's killed lots and lots of people. But see, in her imagination, she had this view of God and she had formed God to her imagination. And I want you to hear something. God is not created in our image. We are created in His. You don't get to decide who God is. But you know why people do that? Because they want to sin. They want to rebel. They want to do what they want to do. And so if I can just formulate a God out of my imagination, I get to worship and serve Him however I choose. And I hope you know who the God of heaven is because He's not that. Your desire will never change who God is. God is who He is. And nothing we can do will ever change His will or His standard or His holiness. Zechariah chapter 7 and verse 5 Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me, for me? When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets when Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous and the south and the lowland were inhabited? What does he say? Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about the time that they spent in Babylon. And during that time of trial and tribulation, he notes that they were fasting during that time of hardship. And here's what he said. When you did that, did you do that for you or did you do that for me? What was the evidence? Look at verse 7 again. Should you, have not, should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets when Jerusalem and the cities round about it were inhabited and prosperous? Now, here's his point. If you were really fasting for me, you'd have done that when life was good. You'd have done that when you were rich and when the land was prosperous. Oh, now hardship has come. Now you want to reach out to me. Now you want to suffer. Now you want to fast. And he said, that is evidence. You're just doing this for your own benefit because life is hard. Is God not great when life is hard? Has His majesty, His glory changed when our life changes? When we worship God, do we do that for Him? Or do we do that for us? Because if we don't do it for ourselves, that's not worship at all. Remember, worship is an acknowledgement of the glory of Him. It's not about what we desire and what we like and what makes us feel good. And, and I'll be honest with you, worship makes us feel good. It makes us feel good. But if that's all it's about, we don't know who we worship. Jesus said this in Matthew 15. He said, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You ever been in a song service and you're singing along with the song and you're just going through the motions? Not really thinking about what you're singing or who you're singing to, you're just singing along. What is that? Well, the words are near. Where's the heart? 
You know what Jesus called that? Vain worship, empty worship, useless worship. You know what he called them? Hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? We don't like that word, do we? Hypocrite. That's insulting. That's offensive. You know what it means? It literally means a stage actor. He said, you're just putting on a performance. You don't mean it. It's not really a representation of what's on the inside. You're just putting on a performance so that everybody around you can look and behold. I hope we don't do that. Because if we think God's going to accept that, we do not know who we worship. We do not know who we worship. Worship is sincere. Worship is from the heart. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to what Isaiah prophesies. God says through Isaiah, Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from my eyes. Cease to do evil. Now who told them to observe new moons and appointed feasts? God did. Not only did he tell them to, he commanded that they do so. And you know what God said? I hate your worship. That's what he told them. I hate it. Well, that's interesting. You hate us doing what you said? No. He hated them doing what he said and ignoring the other things he said. What did he say? I hate your worship because your hands are full of blood. Because you're living in sin. If you think that you can go out Monday through Saturday and live life however you want, and you can live in sin and practice sin and then come in here and worship God, and he's going to go, yep, love it. No, wrong. He told them, I hate your worship. Because it's not sincere, and you're not obeying me. You're rebelling against me. You're living in sin. We can't come in here and put a Band-Aid on a puncture wound by sitting in the service and singing praises to a God that we're not willing to honor Monday through Saturday. And if you think that's okay, you don't know the God that you worship. You don't know the God of heaven. Isaiah chapter 15. We're going to spend some time on this particular account because there's so many things that we can learn about worship, about sacrifice, about what's pleasing to God. And so before we read this, I, I just want to kind of set the scene. Maybe you're unfamiliar with this story. There was a time when God commanded King Saul to go out and utterly destroy the Amalekites. And the word utterly, by utterly, he means I want you to destroy every one of them. Men, women, children, livestock, obliterate them from the earth. Destroy all of them. And Saul goes out, and he's going to carry this mission out, and he takes the people with him. And, and while they're there, they make a decision... Let's keep the king alive. And then he makes the decision, well, let's not kill all the livestock. There's some good livestock here. We could actually take the best of the livestock back, and we could offer that to God. And so after making this decision, God speaks to Samuel. Samuel's not there, by the way. Samuel is going that way, but God speaks to Samuel, and he says, I regret making Saul king because he's rejected me. And Samuel cries out to the Lord all night long. He's grieved over what Saul's done. And when Samuel gets to where Saul is, 
Notice what Saul says to Samuel when he greets him. Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now, first off, we know that's not true. Because both God and Samuel, they both know that's not true. But he thinks that he's done exactly what God has asked him to do. He's done what's pleasing to God. And Samuel just says this. He doesn't say, you haven't done what God said. Here's what he says. What then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? He's just pointing out the fact, you didn't do what God said. Where'd you get these sheep? Where'd you get these oxen? You know what? Saul is pretty dense at this point. He, he doesn't understand what's happening. And so he makes all these excuses. You know what his excuses are? Well, the people, the people did this. And, and, and you, you know how the people are, Samuel. And Samuel says, be quiet. Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. Verse 17, this is very important. When you were little, in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? And now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Notice what he points out. When you were little in your own eyes, you know what that means? Saul, you've lost your humility. You've lost your ability to see who you truly are. There was a time when God anointed you king when you were little in your own eyes. And he was the tallest man in Israel. But he was little in his own eyes and he was a man of humility when God anointed him. But you know what? I don't know if y'all still say this here. He got too big for his britches. <laughs> he got too big for his britches. He let his power go to his head. And he started making decisions about what he thought was right. And he did what God said, or he didn't do what God said to do because of his position. And Samuel's revealing to him, this is a pride issue. That's why you didn't do what God said. But he still doesn't get it. He said, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and got on the mission which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. He just doesn't see it. But he's about to. He's about to see it. Samuel says this. This is the most important part of this story. This is what I want us to learn this morning. Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. So we talked about sincerity, the importance of the heart, the importance of the outpouring of the spiritual, if you will. But that's not good enough. Sincere as he may have been, God's not happy. Why? Because God would rather have obedience than sacrifice. And if you sacrifice and it's not obedience, God doesn't want it. Saul had good intentions, maybe. Maybe he has good intentions. I mean, his excuse is, we're going to offer these things to God. Samuel, that doesn't matter. God doesn't want that. God wants you to do what he said. That's what he wants, obedience. So why'd you do this? Now listen to verse 23. This is another important verse. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and presumption is as iniquity, and I 
idolatry. You know what he's saying? God's not happy with your rebellion and he's not happy with your presumptions. And when you presumed that you could do something that God told you not to do, you might as well have just molded another God. You might as well just be worshiping an idol. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Now listen to verse 24. Saul finally gets it. Saul comes clean. Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Oh, now it's not about the people, right? He gets it. So why did Saul do what he did? Well, Saul said, I did that because I gave in to the people. I gave in to the people. I wish this was in a circus tent, but it's not. This came from a building that is designated to worship God and Christ. And the question I've got is, why? Why do that? What's the point? Did God tell us to do this? Are we doing this to honor God? No, God doesn't want this foolishness. Why do people do that? It's all about the people. They want to please the people. They want to bring in the people. And I'll tell you, when you're trying to bring in the people with something carnal, they're going to come and they're going to want something else carnal. Do you remember when Jesus fed the thousands? And then he exposed their carnality by saying, the only reason you're here is because you ate the loaves and you were filled. Then he gave them something spiritual. And you know what they did? They left. It's fickle. It's pointless. It's not about pleasing the people, drawing in the people with carnal things. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. Why are we doing this? The people. Years ago, I lived in East Texas, and I, and I met this guy. He sang at a wedding that I preached down there. Good guy, nice guy. Very good, talented singer. He was a star on uh, Nashville Star. It was a reality show that some of y'all may or may not remember. He got second place, which is a pretty big deal. And a great singing voice. And I saw this flyer out one day, and it said, Come hear the music of Casey Rivers. And this is not about this man, but it's about what was happening here. Come hear the music of Casey Rivers. Let me ask you a question. If we just come to hear some man and see his talent, is that what God wants? That's what these people thought would draw the crowd. We're going we're gonna to put this guy on display. And if people left and they, and they left that day and they said, Man, Casey Rivers, we like his singing. We like the way he played that guitar. Man, wasn't he great? They're missing the point. Because when we leave here, our thoughts should be, How great is our God? God is great. Not Casey Rivers. Why do we do this? For the people. Let's entertain them. Let's give them something to get excited about. Give them an emotional experience. And they don't know the God they worship. And if we have that attitude, we don't either. We're seeing preaching drastically change in the world. It's not about what the scripture says. Why are people so infatuated with secular preaching? Well, Paul told us that, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the time would come when they would not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own lusts, they would heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, 
And turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. And I'll tell you, when you buy into this junk that's being poured out, this garbage that's being spilled out about how God wants you to be rich and your health to be perfect and all of your relationships to have no conflict, that's not God. That's just these predatorial men finding their prey and stealing your money. That's all it is. You know why they do it? The people. 50,000 people will be gathered to listen to this man speak. You know why? Because he's going to tickle their little heartstrings, tickle their ears, tell them what they want to hear. It makes them feel good. It's not about that. It's about God. We do what we do to please the people. We don't know the God that we worship. Can you tell the difference? Can you really? You say, well, it's color-coded. Well, actually, the red goes with the green and the green... You can't tell the difference. It doesn't look any different. Did God ask us to get laser shows and lights and smoke machines? To put amplifiers and, and, and push people's talent out in front of people and give them these chanting things that are just more of an emotional experience than an exaltation of the glorious God that created us? I don't often quote men. I'm going to quote a man this morning. I don't often do this, but I'm going to quote him because I believe what he says is true and it's biblical. A.W. Tozer, writer, said, Worship is no longer worship when it reflects the world around us more than the Christ within us. Amen. When worship is about the people, when it is a representation of what is surrounding us in the world, and it doesn't represent the glorious, gracious, almighty, all-powerful God, it's not worship. It may have a semblance of worship but God is not pleased. Paul said in Galatians 1 and 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? Now listen to the last part of this. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is why this matters. This is why this matters. So when we came in here this morning, who did we come here to worship? Are we worshiping God? Are our minds and our hearts drawn toward God as we worship Him and we sing praises to Him? Is He our focus? Or are we just worshiping others? You say, whoa, 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 whoa. No, really, let's think about it. Are we doing what we do to be seen by men? To be approved by men? I'll tell you, when I was a young man and I'd get up and lead singing and people would come to me and they'd say, man, you're a good song leader. I really like that. Pat me on the back. Man, I felt good about that. And I felt good about that for all the wrong reasons. All the wrong reasons. If we're not careful, we'll get that way in everything. We had a older gentleman that used to go to church with us he's passed away now brother in Christ from Pampa he used to say the devil will do everything he can to, to keep you from getting up here and preaching God's word and then once you get up here he will pat you on the back until you fall on your face and all of a sudden it becomes about us and about people and how people react and whether or not we're pleasing people we cannot let ourselves do that what about ourselves we come in here and worship ourselves, you say, well, that's ludicrous. Is it? 
You know how many times people leave the services and they leave griping about the church service? Mad about the church service? Well, they let those songs too slow. Who cares? Get over yourself. I get it. We don't want lifeless worship. I'll talk about that in a minute. But, but, but why are we making it all about us and our preferences? Well, I don't necessarily like that song that they led. Okay, if the song's unscriptural, we shouldn't like that song. And I think it's ridiculous that sometimes we'll sing songs that are not scriptural because we like the way it sounds. That's not worship. You know what that is? That's us catering to our own desires and our own pleasures. Don't worship yourself. Don't leave here not gaining the blessing of the assembly because at some point you said, well, I didn't like that. What we should be asking is this. Was God glorified today? Did I learn something from God's word? Was I convicted? Was I edified? Were others convicted? Were others edified? Is what was taught today true? Did I glorify God with my heart and my sincerity? Those are the questions we ought to be asking, not, well, are they going to lead the songs I like today? Are they going to lead the old songs today? Oh, Are they going to lead the new songs today? <sighs> Kids, right? It's not about us. It's not about us. I got one more question I want to ask you. And this may seem kind of bizarre, but are we just worshiping the worship? You lost me now. I can't tell you how many church services I've sat through and sang every song, and the only thing I was concerned about were the notes. The notes. Making sure every note was right, every rhythm was right. And when I'd hear people get off rhythm, I'd go, ugh. And I, and I will tell you, as an audiophile, someone who loves the sound of music, when all four ports come together in perfect harmony and the rhythm's right and the dynamic is right, I'm telling you, it gives me chills. I love it. But if all of that's right, and we don't even know what we're singing, to my shame... In the last two or three years, I've learned what some of the songs I've been singing for 40 years actually means. Because I knew all the words and all the notes, but never sat down and looked at the words and learned what I was saying. You know what we're doing? We're just worshiping the worship. Worshiping the harmony. We need to have a cappella. I believe that. I believe that's the pattern that God shows. But if it's all about, well, we sing a cappella and we, we're good singers, we don't know the God we're worshiping. He wants our hearts and our sincerity, not just our mouth moving. And again, if the mouth is close and the heart is far, it's empty. It's just empty. And we've got to be careful that when we come in this place that we recognize who God is, Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. God did not tell them what fire not to use. He just told them which fire they were to use. You look later in the book of Numbers, we see this. They were supposed to get that fire from under the altar. The fire that God lit. It was holy fire. It was holy fire. And what they use? 
Profane fire. You know what that means? Common fire. Just regular fire. You know what God wants from us? He wants a holy sacrifice from a holy heart because he is a holy God, a holy God. And he doesn't want us to do it some other way. You know, if you look at what these guys did, you might conclude, well, they, what they did was mostly correct. I mean, we would say, well, three out of four is not bad, right? Just like Saul, he's going, well, I went and killed all these people. I don't know why you're upset. I did what God told me to. No, you didn't do everything God told you to do. You did some things God never authorized. God wants a holy sacrifice. And I want to say this as we conclude. God wants your mouth, not just your heart. Say, okay, I get that, but I am not a good singer. No one cares. It's not about that. It's not about being a good singer. God never told us, worship me with quality. It's not about that. That's something we have created within our minds. God wants the praise of your mouth. And I want you to know that God made you for that reason. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 as we close. You were a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Now, he identifies them. How does he identify them? You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You are priests. What do priests do? They offer sacrifices. You're a holy nation, someone who's been set apart and consecrated by God. You're his own special people. And what is your purpose? That you should proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We should not have lifeless worship. Not lifeless. And I'll tell you, if we're really focusing on the words and we're reflecting that with our God and we're thinking about His greatness and His love and His grace, we will have an emotional experience and it won't be something that's false or forced. It's just going to happen. Do we honestly think we will fall down before our God in heaven? I do. I think we will fall down on our face before Him at the realization of who He is. Do you think that our worship here is a reflection of that? When we're singing, If the skies above you are gray, you are feeling so blue. Sing and be happy, right? And we look like someone just shot our dog. Sing and be happy, but don't be happy. Don't be happy. Don't smile. Don't show any emotion. Decent and in order. And we'll talk about that this afternoon, Lord willing. God doesn't want lifeless worship, emotionless worship. But I'll tell you what else he doesn't want. He doesn't want the show. He does not want the show. But when we worship God and we sing forth his praises and we recognize the God that we're worshiping, I'll tell you, it'll have God's desired effect. And you won't leave here mad about the worship service. You'll be filled with blessings. Because it's not about us, it's about Him. It's about Him. Friends, today, if you're not part of God's special people, if you've not been baptized into Christ and sanctified, set apart for His praises, we want to encourage you to become a child of God today. If you're here today and you have 
rejected God, you've rebelled against Him, if you've lived your life according to your own desires, come back to Him. He's, he's not wanting to cast you away. Just like we looked at Wednesday night, God is a Father who loves His children and He will run to you with open arms and receive you back. So we offer the invitation at this time. If anyone has a need from God or from Christ today, come and have a seat as we stand and we sing the song that's been selected.